0: Thank you, Brother Tim. Take your Bibles, please, and turn turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter 4. I appreciate Tim's help this evening. Today has been a bit of a rough day. Uh, Monday and Tuesday weren't too bad, and I'm, I'm still trying to take things as slow as I can possibly manage without giving up on life, but... Uh, uh, yesterday and, and the day before were good days. Saw the cardiologist, those things. But today, for some reason, everything was just off. A lot of pain, uh, and I tried to to teach my class this morning and uh, didn't even uh, get started on it. Had to call and Brother Adam came in and and took over. And I did see my doctor today. He said this is par for the course. Uh, they did a lot of rummaging around in my heart in those vessels, and so it's gonna it's just gonna take a little while. And I was living for several months. Uh, with that situation going on. So thank you for your prayers, uh, notes, and cards. Uh, Brother Ms Obas sent me some beautiful flowers, and I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep my man card, because I happen to like the flowers anyhow. And uh, it, you, you've been very kind and very patient. And uh, hopefully I'll be up and around and, and back to normal, whatever that is, uh, as soon as possible. Uh, we are, uh, it's been three weeks, believe it or not, since we've been in the book of Acts. uh, Last week, of course, I was in the hospital. The week before that, uh, I was in uh, San Diego uh, for a conference there at Brother Fisher's church. And uh, so if you remember back from the olden days, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went went into the temple about 3 o'clock one afternoon. It was the hour of prayer. There they met a man who was lame from his mother's womb. He was born that way. He was over 40 years of age. And that man got healed. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And a great crowd gathered around them. And uh, Peter very quickly took all of the attention away from himself and even took the attention away from the miracle. And uh, we studied the preaching that resulted from that in Acts chapter 3. Uh, God used that preaching. We know that 5,000 Jewish men believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, in the Jewish culture, men and women prayed often at different times and different places. That's why the Bible only mentions 5,000 men who got saved, uh, because that would have been the crowd of people that was there. In Acts chapter 4, as the chapter opens up, we see the persecution. Persecution. Um, anytime you try to live for God, there are going to be problems. You you are aware of that, correct? Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Um, All. Anytime you try to live for God, there's going to be repercussions. The devil doesn't like that. Um, I think one of the reasons we're seeing so much watering down uh, of Bible Christianity today, which, by the way, when you water it down, it's no longer Bible Christianity. Uh, and you start mixing it all with the world, and we want the world to love us. The world hated Christ. Why should the, we expect the world to love us? The Savior said in John 16, in this world ye shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. Um, And and beloved, we got to understand, we're living in what is called post-Christian America. There was a day on Sunday, everything was shut down except church. How many remember those days? You didn't hunt, you didn't fish, uh, nothing was open. Uh, on Sundays and now Sunday is just another day of the week we are into um, cancel culture where if you have an opinion that goes against mainstream uh, they will try to cancel you out silence your voice cause you to lose your job and and everything else that goes along with it supposedly people are now woke they ought to learn some grammar Uh, But, you know, we're just throwing it all away. And people that believe the Bible, uh, people that love the Lord Jesus Christ, we're more of an oddity than ever. That ought not scare us. That ought to challenge us to live for God while we have the chance to do that. And these, these two men, Peter and John, came under the first persecution of the New Testament church. They were thrown in prison for a night. Uh, because it was already evening, and and by their law, they weren't allowed to have trials after uh, uh, the sunset. And so the next morning, the the Jewish Sanhedrin met some 70 of the leaders of the Jewish nation. Uh, They set Peter and John before them, and there was a third person present with them. Anybody remember who that person was? Peter and John were there, but there was a third person. Anybody remember? You have a man that was healed. Uh, he didn't just go his merry way he was there someone asked was he arrested with them we don't know the Bible doesn't say that but either way he was there uh, as living witness uh, to, to what the Lord had done for him they they threatened him told them uh, you know that they shouldn't be doing that and Peter once again uh, preached to them Uh, Let them know that, uh, you know, we cannot speak with things we've seen and heard. We we ought to obey God rather than men. Look at verse 13 of of, uh, Acts chapter, I'm sorry, verse 12 of Acts 4. Neither is there salvation in any other. That's the name they wanted them to stop preaching in. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I always find this remarkable that Peter is possibly the one doing most of the preaching. Uh, this is the very group that, uh, that that condemned Jesus to his death. Uh, and on that night, Peter was out denying that he even knew Christ. And he, he went out and wept bitterly. And here's the same man before the same people. Now letting them know that one you crucified, that's the only one that can get you saved. He's the only one. And uh, they saw the boldness of Peter in John Verse 13. Perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So they threatened them a little bit more, let them go their way, and we then saw the prayer meeting. Verse 22, um, I'm sorry, verse 24, verse 23, I'll get it right. Be nice to me, I just had heart issues. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Undoubtedly, in my mind, these people were already praying because they found them assembled. They, they, they went to these people. I'm sure they had been praying the night through. This is new territory. You know, when we go through new territory, it's unsettling. Has anybody ever found that? Uh, today was one of those days that I was unsettled. Um, I was, I'll, I'll just be straight up and honest. I was afraid I was going to end up back in the hospital because the amount of pain and just the way I was feeling. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, fortunately already had an appointment with my doctor and he said, this is par for the course. This, this happens. He said, of course, let me know anytime something like this happens. Uh, don't, don't just keep it to yourself. If things get worse, by all means, uh, you need to take care of that. But uh, he said, this is, this is your first rodeo, Tom, uh, and th- there's, there's a lot of new things and a lot of new adjustments to make. Well, this is the first persecution that these people have had for their faith in Christ. Um, they had a prayer meeting, and uh, Peter and, and, and John reported everything that happened in verse 24 when they heard that. This is the church. When they heard what, what they were told, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, And said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And we studied this remarkable prayer. We don't know that we have all of the prayer any more than we know that we have all of the preaching that is recorded. This is just, if you will, probably just the gist of it. But we noticed the last time we we were studying Acts chapter 4, there's a total absence of a desire for vengeance. There is no, God, you see those wicked men on the Sanhedrin, you know what they did to your son. And, and God, you, you know what they're trying to do to us now. And God, they've got to be stopped. And God, you've got to, there, there's, there's none of this, wipe them out, you know, condemning them. There's none of that. Um, they barely even, they, they barely even reference those guys. There's no whining. Lord, this isn't fair. We're out doing a good thing and, and people are getting saved and then you're letting all this, there's, there's none of that. There, there is just these people just uh, settled in the power of, uh, of the creator. Uh, they pray uh, a lot of Psalm chapter two uh, in there and then here is their prayer request, verse 29. And now Lord, behold their threatenings, Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. The last two years, if you've listened, and and, and I know that you do, uh, our nation is, our world has gone through a change that uh, we will never quite go back to where things were before. How many times have you heard me pray? and encourage, exhort you to be salt and light. How many have ever heard me say that? Um, that That's what we need more than anything, is for you and I as believers to be that way, to be salt, to be light, and that's what they prayed for. Uh, give us boldness, uh, Lord, so that we may speak thy word. That was the, the desire of their heart. It needs to be ours. I'm not sure about you, but... Um, I need boldness in a lot of areas of life, but especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. I need a combination of boldness and wisdom. Boldness and wisdom. And uh, so we saw their their prayer meeting. Now I want you to see the product uh, tonight of that prayer meeting. In verse 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. In the early days of the church, There were a lot of of signs and wonders. This is all brand new. Remember, they do not have a New Testament to draw from. Okay, everything that is happening is happening for the very first time. Keep your place here. And can I ask you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse number 3. The author says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, referring to the preaching of the apostles. God also bearing them witness. This is God bearing the, 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 the apostles' witness with, di- with both with signs and wonders, with divers' miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, According to his own will. So in those days, God confirmed that which was taking place by miraculous things that took place. And for these people, the miraculous thing is the building that they were in was shaken together. That would, that would uh, maybe unsettle us. I don't, I don't know if it did that to them or not. I think maybe it was more uh, put them in a, a place of awe at, at the Lord the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. You understand 120 of them were there in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit first came upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, there's one baptism with the Holy Spirit where he comes and lives inside of us and there's many fillings and we need that all the time. And notice this. And they spake the word of God with boldness. The product uh, it wasn't about the building shaking. Uh, it was about a bunch of spirit-filled people preaching the word of God with boldness. You would have thought there had been no persecution. These people were as, as straightforward and excited uh, and, and, and bold about sharing the message of Jesus Christ as they were uh, before Acts chapter 3 and everything that followed ever happened. Um, and so they spake the word of God with boldness. Look at verse 33, again talking about the power of their preaching. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. The New Testament church was a preaching church. Now we, we know they did other things from Acts chapter 2. They fellowship, they broke bread, uh, and so forth. But their primary, their primary focus and burden and joy was getting out there telling everybody they could about the gospel. So God answered their prayers. Uh, my, how every church needs to have that as, as, as the number one prayer request. Lord, help us to have boldness to share the word of God. How many have somebody that you know in your sphere of influence that is not saved? How many are like that? okay. Uh, How many would be willing to admit that it's almost a little nervous when you think about sharing the gospel with them? Is anybody like that? That is humanity. That's, That's just the way that it is. How many know they still need to be witnessed to? Okay, don't raise your hand on this one. How many know that you're really the one that's supposed to do it? So what do we need? Yeah, we need boldness. You think God could provide that for us? He's no respecter of persons. If he would grant it to them, he would most certainly grant that boldness uh, to us as well. So the first product was that, that uh, the, the power of their preaching. I want you to look at something else that was a product of that amazing prayer meeting. Verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Skip down verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Another aspect of this church Another product of their prayer meeting was the presence of a remarkable spirit of unity. If you mark your Bibles, I I tend to do that. Can I ask you to mark a couple words and phrases? Look at verse number 31. Uh, It says in the middle of the verse, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I have the word all circled in my Bible no exceptions there's nobody in that gathering of believers that was not a spirit-filled christian at that moment that meant that every one of them was yielded to the holy spirit he the, the holy spirit doesn't come in like a panzer and blow the walls down and say i'm i'm gonna control your life whether you like it or not we're supposed to yield ourselves to him am i correct We're supposed to yield ourselves unto God. Um, They were all a bunch of yielded people, all filled with the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 32, the, the last part of the verse. But they had all things common. They had all things common. We'll come back and exactly what that was talking about. And there's that word all. Verse 33, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. All they were all growing. They were all being used. They were all being touched by the grace and the power and the strength and the wisdom and the boldness of God. Um, it wasn't the case where there were a few people that were doing all the work and the rest were spectators, or that a few people were growing and others were not. Great grace was upon them all. Um, there, there was, there was a, there was a, a spirit of unity that was present in this group of believers that nobody, nobody was outside of this. There was a yieldedness about them. There's another thing I want you to under, underline, or in, this, in my Bible I have it circled. Verse 32, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. And I have this little phrase circled. Neither said any of them. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. Great grace is on them all. They're all spirit-filled. Uh, we, we see that, uh, and, and we, we see the Bible pointing out that there was not one of them. There was not one of them said, that, wait, that's mine. That, that belongs to me. Uh, that phrase is used again in verse 34, or a similar phrase, neither was, among, was there among them any that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, those two phrases are almost the opposite of each other. There was nobody there that said, "Hey, this is my stuff It belongs to me uh, that type of thing." They didn 't have that spirit not not a person in that church, and because of that, not a person in that church was lacking anything there was just There was an amazing uh, way that this church functioned. One with the other. They had this unity. There's power in unity. You you do understand that, right? Go back to Genesis chapter 11 with me. Genesis chapter 11. The first time we see this whole concept of unity in the Bible. Unfortunately, it wasn't in a positive manner. Verse 1 says, The whole earth was of one language and one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, "Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly, and they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. They said, "Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name." They're not concerned about the name of God anymore. It's "let us make us a name." lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth, which is what God told them to do. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is what? They are one and they have all one language. Now we know from verse 1, they were of one language and one speech. But the Lord said, Not just did they have one language, they are one. They were one in attitude. They were one in motive. Everything about them was united together. He said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they've imagined to do. You understand, the Lord gave a a very clear teaching there the power of unity. The power of unity. Um, the first war that our country officially lost was Vietnam. Um, it was also one of the first wars in... And there's always been opposition to every war that we've ever had, but never like in the days of the Vietnam War. Uh, that's where the, uh, one of the first wars the media was embedded the way that they were in every night on the nightly news. It was out there... And the media was already in the decline to which we have seen them blossom so abundantly in recent days. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there was no way we could win the war. They destroyed the morale of a nation to, to win it. By the way, uh, communism is a wicked system. It is a wicked system. Do you know how many uh, multiplied tens, maybe hundreds of millions of, of people have perished under, under socialism and communism. Um, and, and in the Far East. Vietnam. Laos. Cambodia. All of that. The, the slaughter was just un, un, unbelievable. Uh, that type of thing. But we lost the will. Because we became a divided people. We became a divided people. We see this power of unity. Psalm 133. We see it in the better light. We see God's opinion of it. In a very simple in short little psalm the bible says in verse 1 behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. Some of the day, Aaron was anointed as high priest, and and they took a large ram's horn that was filled with oil, and they just poured it on top of him, and that oil saturated everything. The oil had all types of spices in there, and so the aroma just went all, all over the place, and that's what unity's like. As the dew of Hermon, that refreshing dew that's out on the grass in the morning, is the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing... Even life forevermore. God blesses unity. God uses a people that have that that spirit of oneness uh, in their midst. And uh, the Lord exalts that in Psalm 133.1. This church that we're studying uh, in in the book of Acts. They possess that. They are all spirit filled. Great graces on them all. There's not a single person in that church that is, is holding on to anything about themselves. And because of that, there's not a single person in that church that lacked. Can you even imagine what that would be like to have such a vibrant, close spirit in there? I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. There's a word in the scripture, it's used three times, that if you will, describes the whole mindset of the church at Jerusalem. Verse number five says, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that with one mind and one, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul's prayer here is the God of patience and consolation would grant us to be like minded. Now, keep your place there. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. This word like minded is only found three times in your New Testament. Chapter 2, verse 1, Philippians 2 1 If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, of any bowels and mercies. Um, By the way, is there any consolation in Christ? Do do we find comfort and hope and peace and help in the Lord Jesus? Yes or no? Absolutely, we do. Um, uh, Does the Holy Spirit uh, speak to our hearts? Uh, Do we have a fellowship with Him? Yes or no? Absolutely. He says, if, if there's any of that in Christ... Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And look at verse 20. We're going to stay in this chapter for just a moment. Paul writes about this young man, Timothy, in verse, uh, verse 19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your sake for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ now we have a misconception about what it means to be like-minded. We think that might like-minded means we all think alike, which could lead us to believe everybody agrees with me. that's why if there's any anything going on in a church a business anything like that and there are there are uh, differences of opinion there'll be people out there trying to find everybody and get everybody on their team as they can because the idea is if i get the more more people to uh, that think like i do like-minded then that must mean we're right and we have we have a mistaken idea that like-minded is everybody thinking like me that's not what it is at all like-minded is everybody thinking like jesus period um, it, it, we're in Philippians so we'll stay there just for a moment we'll, we'll work our way backwards Paul says that between him and Timothy said I don't have anybody like Timothy who is like minded now he wasn't saying Timothy agrees with me about everything I have nobody like that that just agrees with everything about me he goes on to explain exactly what it's talking about in the next verse verse 21 for all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ. When he said Timothy's like-minded, it meant that Timothy's seeking the things of Christ just like I am. And that puts us on the same page. That that faces us in the same direction. We have the same goals and focus and priorities and and everything else because we're both seeking that which is Christ Jesus. Go back to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 2, fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one, uh, one accord, of one mind. Again, he's not saying, I want you just all to agree on everything. You have to go back to the context of it. He said, if, if there are consolation in Christ and fellowship of the Spirit, uh, if that's the way God is, that's the way I want you to be. I want you to have the same mind as him. By the way, I'm not reading anything into that passage. Um, The Bible's real clear on it. Look at verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also where? In Christ Jesus. That's what like-mindedness is, when we think like he thinks. He gives an example here. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus wasn't sinning when he declared, I and my father are one. He was God who became flesh. But the Bible says, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the mind that Christ had, um, that that it wasn't, uh, it, it, it wasn't a, a sin for him to declare that he was God because he most certainly was, but his mindset was a humble one. He placed himself um, and under the authority of his, of his father to do whatever his father wanted him to do, and that meant the death of the cross. You and I are supposed to have such a humble mind as Christ had. Um, if, and here's the amazing thing. If, if I am like-minded with Christ okay, and Tim Reamers is like-minded with Christ, we're automatically like-minded with each other. It, it just, it, it's automatically there. Um, we, we just got to understand this all the way through. Go back to Romans chapter uh, 15, where we saw the word like-minded for the first time it's used. Now the God of patience, consolation. What kind of a God is he described as here? Anybody? Patient. Almost like we're afraid to say it. Is anybody here glad that God's patient with you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I I thank the Lord all the time uh, that he's patient with me. The God of patience and consolation. Patience means he doesn't clobber us when we need it, when we deserve it. Um, God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't throw us away. God doesn't kick us when we're down. He he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it. How long? Until the day of Jesus Christ. That's patience. That's patience, right? Consolation is where God not only withholds judgment from us, God gives us more time to learn and to grow and so forth. But consolation means he's putting all kinds of positive and working in our life, comforting us, teaching us, uh, helping us to grow, strengthening us and so forth. It's it's the best of both worlds wrapped up in God. And uh, the Bible says that we're to be like-minded one toward another. So how are we supposed to be with each other? Anybody? Patient. Um are we always not always we're not always patient with ourselves but uh so the idea of like-minded is well here's what god's like so that's what i'm like here's how god thinks that's how i think uh go back to acts chapter four acts chapter four the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul um, they, they had this spirit of unity. They had this like-minded thing down. Um, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, once made the statement that a friend is defined as two soul, uh, one soul in two bodies. That's what a friend is. It's one soul in two bodies. These people had a unity, not because everybody said, uh, let's follow Peter. Everybody here was yielded to the Lord. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had a yieldedness to God uh, that was absolutely priceless. Uh, notice the proof of that unity. It was more than just we have fuzzy feelings about each other. Okay? It was more than, yeah, we just like hanging out. There was a very practical manifestation of that. Uh, the Bible says, verse 32. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And we find no commandment in the Bible that they had to, you know, uh, you know, sell everything that they had and live in a communal lifestyle. We we don't see that. We just see that that's the way they did it. Remember the church at Jerusalem. Uh, if you will, was initiated on the day of Pentecost. Now, there were 120 people before that moment. They They were the church, but we we see that that, that big start on the day of Pentecost. Remember those 3,000 people that got saved were from all over the Roman world. I mean, from the farthest extremities of which Rome controlled territory, those Jewish people came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Their jobs, their homes, their lands were hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away. When they got saved on Pentecost, you understand there was only one New Testament church in the entire world. There was no church in France. There was no church in Gaul. There was no church in Galatia. There was no church in Egypt. This church in the city of Jerusalem was the one and only That's where all of the apostles were located. So apparently, a lot of those people stayed. We'll see a little later on uh, that there was a a Greek contingency that was a part of this church. Um, Well, those people are there. How many have ever gone on vacation and you saved up and all that kind of stuff, but you still had to spend your money carefully to make it last? Anybody like that? Go to Disney World you know, you have to sell a kidney just to get in the gate, uh, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, the worst thing that happens on a vacation is, uh, you know, the transmission goes out on the car and you're you're two 2,000 miles away from home. And, uh, you know, you're still not at your destination and all that kind of stuff. But now you got to lay out all this money. You can run out of money real fast. Um, as a youth pastor. We would take trips with teenagers, take them to camp, take them to youth conference, things like that. And we would tell them how many meals they were going to need to buy, uh, if there was a hotel room somewhere in there, how much that was going to cost. And we'd have an itemized thing saying, uh, you know, uh, uh, Timmy needs to bring, uh, you know, $120 for the week and so forth. But there was always that one kid, we'd leave on Monday, and by Tuesday afternoon, he was broke. He bought everything that he saw, you know, and he's still got three days to go and he has, you know, he has no money left. And now he's going to scrounge off of everybody else, uh, you know, that type of thing. These people were not necessarily being unwise with their money, but just over time, this is the only church they have to go to. And they are immersed in the, in the things of Christ. They're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and of prayers and uh, people began to be in want. If they were staying in the inn, well, they, they had money that was due. They, they had to feed their families. Um, if, if they had any kind of animals with them, they had to feed that. There, there were a lot, of, a lot of needs. And we're not talking about a couple dozen people. We're talking thousands. 3,000 saved in the day of Pentecost. 5,000 men saved. Acts chapter 4. And the Bible says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You've got all of these thousands of people out there proclaiming the name of Christ. This church in the city of Jerusalem would have been a mega church by today's standards and so forth. Um, And so there was just naturally a lot of needs. It was an unusual situation. Um, uh, Unlike unlike anything that we are uh, uh, that we can quite relate to, um, but it, it posed no problem. The, the, the Bible said these people had such a spirit of unity that was based on their relationship with God uh, that not a one of them looked and said, well, this is my money. This is my house. This is my stuff that I bought for my kids. They, they just didn't have that. They just said, this is what God gave me. And I want to use it for whatever God wants me to use it for. And they just, they just made sure everybody had food. They just made sure everybody had a place to stay. Made sure everybody had clothes uh, and, and, and all of those kind of things. So nobody is saying, this is my hard-earned money. Nobody had that spirit. And because of that, nobody lacked. The proof of their unity was how they treated each other. It's how they took care of each other. There, there was there was no greed, no selfishness, no holding back. There was just there was just this desire to love one another in a very tangible way. Verse thirty four. Neither was there among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according. As he had need. Again, there was no commandment that we're aware of that was issued that they had to do this. They just said, We want to help these people. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Boy, that God would give us spiritual radar to sense when somebody has a need, when somebody's going through that hard time. Um, I I was married for 33 and a half years to somebody that possessed that. That spiritual radar. From the time that we got married, especially when we started our church, our church in Pennsylvania was in a very poor town, a lot of welfare. Uh, as a town that drugs and alcohol and things like that had taken its toll. There were just an awful lot of need. Uh, We were living ourselves in low-income housing. Uh, We didn't didn't have a lot uh, to go on ourselves, but my wife had a, a pantry stocked with everything in the world. Uh, if, you, if you knew her, you knew she was the coupon queen. And uh, she went to stores, and sometimes stores owed her money because she couponed and then got the buy one, get one, freeze, and double coupons. There's a couple stores did triple coupons. I think she's the reason they stopped doing that. Uh, but, man, our, our pantry was filled uh, with, with more shampoo than, than we would ever use in a lifetime. Uh, deodorant, toothpaste, toothbrushes, uh, all types of things like that uh, and so forth. Uh, She'd go to Bath and Body Works when they ran their yearly sales with her, fistful of coupons. And she never spent a whole lot, but she'd come home with bags of stuff. And it wasn't uncommon that almost every Sunday or every time we went to church, Trina would be, before we left, she'd be over there putting a bag of stuff together uh, sometimes she was taking groceries off of our shelves because she knew somebody was having a hard time and it never bothered her. She never questioned the cost. She, she never worried about a thing. All she knew about was somebody had a need and if she could help them, that's what she would do. Ladies would compliment her on a, a pin or a, a necklace or a bracelet she wore and many times she'd just take it off right then and there and hand it to them. Um, and she, she had utter joy in doing that. I, I was married to somebody. Imagine this whole church in Jerusalem. They're all like that. Not just one person here or there. There's nobody who's not like that. Nobody sitting off in the corner saying, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever saw. Now, how you going to feed your own kid? The head wobble? That's where bobblehead started. <laughs> Nobody was like that. Here they go talking about money again and making sure the wallet's there. Um, or, boy, I'm glad I left my wallet at home. They're taking another offering. Not a single person in the church like that. Can you even imagine? And this was just the one tangible way that this, this pervasive spirit of unity was coming out uh, we see one person in particular who is going to uh, just feature prominently in the chapters to come. Verse 36 and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, or if you will, Barnabas the Comforter. That was his nickname, his real name was Joseph. But they gave him the nickname Barnabas, and everybody, every time they heard the name Barnabas, they, they knew it was a nickname and they knew what that nickname meant. Anybody here ever get a nickname in life when you're growing up? Anybody? My first day of seventh grade, we, uh, I lived in a farming community, and they took two small elementary schools and combined them in the junior high school uh, in Dayton Elementary or a Dayton Junior High School, and so uh, I had the kids I grew up with, and then there was another group of seventh graders that I'd never met before, and one of those from the other elementary school, I was, you're going to find this hard to believe, I was very small of stature. Uh, I I looked like a fourth grader uh, going into seventh grade, and he gave me a nickname. My wife never knew the nickname. I despised it. It will go with me to my grave. I mean, I hated it. And every, it, it just caught on like wildfire. And I got this nickname, and it had something to do with my stature. And uh, that the teachers thought that it was okay to do that uh, the whole nine yards. Nicknames sometimes pull out some some characteristic that we have. Well, Barnabas got a good one, Okay. And that name meant son of consolation. Uh, By the way, God's the God of patience and consolation. Barnabas was being just like God, wasn't he? Isn't that an incredible thing? Notice what he did. The Bible says, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He just liquidated his property. Again, there's no commandment that we know of, if you study early the the writings of the early church fathers from the first century, um, none of them uh, even remotely talk about the fact that this was the law of the day. It was just the spirit of the day. So this Barnabas, maybe he's the one that started the ball rolling. I'm not sure. Um, Maybe maybe it was a lot of money. Um, He was from Cyprus, where the Roman emperor had a villa, a vacation villa. It was high-priced property, still is today, but it was very high-priced property. It may be that that's where he sold his land, and, and it might have been worth a lot of money. We're not sure. Uh, but the Holy Spirit took, took uh, the time to put it in there and let us just know this one person, who, by the way, God is going to use in a, in a remarkable way. God uses people with that kind of a spirit. God uses churches with that kind of a spirit. As as we close tonight, just, just a simple thought. Every person who walks into a church either builds the unity of the church and strengthens it or tears away at the fabric of it. Every person who walks into a church builds, strengthens, Protects the unity of the church or tears away from it? Which kind of person are you? What kind of person are we when it comes to that? We don't have to imagine what a church is like that has that kind of spirit. We don't have to imagine, I wonder what God could do with a church like that. We read about in the book of Acts. Acts. It is a church that changed the history of the world. Turned the world upside down. Um, It was a church that was unstoppable. And we are 2,000 years out from that church. And we're still the beneficiaries of what they were in Acts chapter 4. That's pretty impressive. Father, thank you for the Bible.